Right, so Nehemiah 13 is where we're at. Before we get into this passage, I just need to give a little bit of background. And what this message is, it's going to kind of have a long introduction. And then uh, there's a, a very important message I want everyone to get from this. But Nehemiah, he was somebody we see in the beginning of the book who was the king's cupbearer. This was during a time when they're kind of in captivity. and But they had been allowed to go back and authorize to rebuild the walls and get the temple rebuilt we read about a lot of that in ezra but the truth was if you you know really pay a lot of attention to the details and all these stories israel even though they had been authorized to do the things that they were supposed to do they just weren't really getting it done and so nehemiah he's hearing what's going on in jerusalem and how things are just kind of a mess, and it discouraged him. It upset him. It's sad. And so in chapter 2, he's standing before Artaxerxes as the cupbearer, and Artaxerxes can tell that he's sad. He's like, you're not normally sad like this, but then he tells them about what's going on in Jerusalem. It's like, if I can just get back there, and you know, we can go and get these people fired up, get this work going, you know, that would be great. So the king allows him to do that. Well, um, we're not gonna, we obviously can't go through the whole book, but here in chapter 13... What we're about to see is Nehemiah observing what things were like in Jerusalem. Now, you need to try to keep this in mind because this was a different day back then. They don't have internet. They don't have the news and television and communication. It was by word of mouth or uh, by letter, and it was very slow moving. And so Nehemiah has heard some things, but I don't think he understands just how bad things were in Jerusalem. And so there they are over in captivity, and he's a man who loves the Lord, and wants righteousness, wants the best for his nation. And I think in his mind, he's thinking, if things aren't going good, it's just because they're not getting the help they need, uh, because you know they've got some kind of opposition. But when he goes back and he just saw that, you know what? These people are a mess. These people are just in disobedience to God. And he just kind of has a meltdown. And I, I believe this meltdown was a righteous meltdown this was some righteous indignation but let's go ahead and read uh, a little bit of this and see exactly what was going on because i'm telling you nehemiah was rightfully upset they god had allowed them to be in captivity for 70 years because of their disobedience to the law now they are allowed to be back in their land they've got all these things going for them and yet they're still not following the law that blew nehemiah's mind because there were there were some good jews back during that time but for the most part, they were pretty bad. So look at verse 14. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, remember me, O my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. We're going to see that statement he makes a few times. Remember me, O my God. And keep that, that, that in mind because we're going to see a very key verse here in a little bit where he says that same thing. And so in verse 15, he says, in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah. And in Jerusalem, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? So he's telling us what he saw. He said they were working on the Sabbath day. Now, while we might not think much of that, that was a huge no-no back then. 
They were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That was supposed to be a day of rest. They're doing that in not, not just in Israel. They're doing that in Jerusalem within the city walls near the temple. I mean, people are there working like it's just any other day. Absolutely no regard for the law of God. And Nehemiah is looking at this. This is not what he was expecting to see when he was in Jerusalem. He's looking at this and thinking, what is wrong with these people? And what's crazy about this is they are breaking God's law. And Nehemiah seems like he's the only one that's even upset about it. I mean, here he is, just kind of this lone figure, flipping out, thinking, why isn't everyone outraged? And, you know, don't you feel that way sometimes when you look at what's going on in this country? It's like, uh, why are more people outraged by what's going on? You know, I'm telling you, what, what Nehemiah is feeling right here, I've felt this many times. And this is how we should feel. I'm not, now, I'm not going to go as far and tell you that Nehemiah's reaction is something that we should copy. Because we see him getting pretty physical with some people. And I think, I, I'm not going to condemn what he did. But, I, you know, I, I don't believe we need to take this and use this excuse to get physical with people. Because, again, too, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We do need to remember our place and the fact that we don't have authority. Now, understand, during this time, if Nehemiah starts hitting some people, just understand, according to the law, these people should have been being stoned for working on the Sabbath day. So they were getting off easy. God hasn't authorized us as Christians to stone anybody, kill anybody, get physically violent with anybody. So don't use this as an excuse to go rough some people up if you see them doing some wickedness. Okay? Now, if you feel like that, that's probably okay. But control yourself, all right? Don't use Nehemiah as an excuse. But so, working on the Sabbath day, look at what he says in verse 18. He says, Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon the city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He's like, Do you not realize why we were in captivity for 70 years? Do you not realize why we don't have a temple right now? It's because of stuff like this. This is why we're in the mess that we're in right now. Can't you people see it? You know, have you ever felt that way too? When you're hearing about all these STDs and things going around and then you see them doing gay pride marches and it's like, don't you all understand why this stuff's happening? Don't you understand why all this perversion's going on? Why all these diseases are being spreading? Are you not learning your lesson? What is going on? We are in trouble as a result of this. And it says, and it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark, before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants uh, said I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said to them, why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth, they came no more on the Sabbath. Now listen, even if you convince me Nehemiah was being a little too harsh, I like the guy. Okay? I like his attitude right here. I think this is good. But notice that, you know, he, so here they, they were supposed to close the doors on the Sabbath day. Why? Because they don't want a bunch of work going on. They don't want a bunch of activity going on. This is Sabbath. This is rest time. This is not time to be doing all this work. And so he goes, and again, he's somebody who has authority, and he goes and he has to tell these people, go close the door. It's like, you know, he, you know, all these years, Israel has not been doing what they're supposed to do, and even though they're allowed to now, nobody cared. 
It's, it's kind of like when the government demanded that everybody shut down church and then everybody just kind of went along with it. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? You can have church again. And then people are, they still didn't do it. You know, a lot of churches didn't even open when they said, okay, we're not going to do anything to you now. And it's like, why isn't anybody coming along and saying, why do we ever stop in the first place? You know, let's, let's get busy. Let's get back to work. I mean, people too, stopping Sony, stopping all these things. And it's like, you realize you're allowed to go back to these things, but yet they're not doing it. And so Nehemiah's just got to come along and be like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the sun's going down, the Sabbath's coming up, close the doors. And so they do, they close the doors. And then the people that sell wares, they're so used to just doing their work, selling things on the Sabbath. They just go up and they see the doors are closed. And so what do they do? They just set up everything right by the doors so they can still sell. They don't even take the hint. Nehemiah sees these guys standing by the door and he tells them, you get out of here. And if you come back, I'm laying hands on you. Because, you know, he can't even really stick the authorities on him. Nobody's doing anything. So he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rough you guys up. And then you know what? These guys got the hint and they moved on. And let me tell you, Nehemiah would have roughed them up. I promise, because we're going to see what he did to some people here in a little bit. So they're just, they're disregarding rebuke. They're just being completely clueless. And I, that's how I feel sometimes. It's like you can go and you can show people the truth and they just look at you with a dumb look on their face and they don't change a single thing. I feel like that as a pastor sometimes. It's like, you know, you go preach a sermon and everybody just, what? You know, they stand there like a turkey having a seizure. You know, it's just like. Like they have no idea. What, what are you saying? What's going on? It's like, I'm, I'm showing you from the, what the Bible says. It's like, come on, get, get the hint, people. But yet, these people, they're not getting the hint, so he's got to start threatening them pretty much. We see in verse 22, And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. So now he's ordering the Levites. It's like, why aren't you cleansing yourself? There's another passage, I don't remember if it's in Nehemiah or Ezra, where they were out plowing the fields. They were out working the fields. They weren't supposed to be doing that. They, God didn't give them a, a land to inherit. They were to do the work of the Lord. But you know what? They couldn't do the work of the Lord because the rest of Israel's not bringing their offerings. They're not giving. And they had to eat. So, I mean, it was, it was wrong for them to be out there working. That's bad on the Levites, but it was bad on all the tribes of Israel, too, because they weren't doing their part. Just nobody was doing what they were supposed to do. They are allowed to do what they're supposed to do, but they're not doing it. And, you know, this, his, his reaction to these people is really probably how a lot of people should react to Christians in America, where we have religious freedom. And you've got places in other countries where they don't have religious freedom, and yet they're doing all everything they can to be obedient and to serve the Lord with all this opposition. You come over to America, we're allowed to do whatever we want, and what do people do? Watch football. What do people do? Go fishing. What do people do? Anything but what they're supposed to do. You know, there's some, there's some countries where if you preach on certain topics, they're going to probably come and arrest you. In our country, we're allowed to preach on those things. But what do people do? They clam up about it. They trim the message because they're afraid somebody's going to criticize them. Because they're afraid that a video is going to go viral with them saying that. What must people in these other countries think? They'll love the Lord when they look at America. Probably same thing Nehemiah thought. 
I've said, I've talked about this before, but one thing that I've often done whenever we've had missionaries come in that have been overseas for, you know, four years or whatever, I'll ask them, like, what's some of the biggest changes that they've seen since they came back to America? Because, you know, art, when we change, it's often so gradual that we don't notice it. But a lot of times they're over in these other countries and they come, they just expect to come back and things be the same. And they're just not. Now, anymore, because of the internet and how connected we are, a lot of times they are seeing the change. So, you know, those conversations, um, you know, a lot of times your trendiest people are the missionaries. And it's because they do, they kind of get alone over there and they get very connected online with everyone and then they just kind of go with the flow. And so that, that conversation doesn't typically go the way it used to. But I remember back in the 90s and early 2000s, talking to missionaries, it would be interesting hearing them talk about the things that they noticed change and the way, you know, the way dress standards were going away, some of the music that was coming in church because they were gone for four years, came, came back the same, expected everyone to be the same, and there were huge differences. And what a sad thing that was. But you know what? God's people here, they had abandoned holy living. The priests weren't cleansing themselves. They're obviously not doing the work of the Lord like they were supposed to. You know, the temple's not done and built, but they, there were still things that they could have been doing, but they just didn't care. They did, it, it didn't matter to them. It wasn't a priority. They weren't thinking about it. And Nehemiah, he, he's calling these guys out. We see in verse 23, In those days also I saw I Jews that had married the wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. So not only had they just blatantly violated God's command, they were not to have anything to do with the Ammonites and the Moabites. Not only had they married these people, but their children spoke half that language and half of the language of the Jews. So they are completely mixed with a people they were supposed to be completely separated from. Now, I know to us this sounds kind of racist, but again, this is the Old Testament time. This was, this was something they were commanded to stay away from these people. And so Nehemiah, he's there listening to these people, and they sound, they don't sound the way Jews should sound. They sound like the Ammonites and Moabites. Now, what does that sound like? I don't know. Okay, but you know what can we compare that to today? Well, you know, there is, there's a way I expect the world to talk. I don't expect God's people to talk that way. You know, I don't expect you to come in, you know, using the world's language, using all the filthy, you know, the filthy words and things that they use. When you, if, you, if, I, if I'm hearing that stuff as a pastor from God's people, I'm going to be like, hey, what's going on here? And I get it. We're not physically separated from them, but have we not called to be separate from the world? There should be differences. We should react differently than the world does. And there are, there are the typical phrases and reactions and things that our world says and you know what we shouldn't be the same way you know and uh and i'm not going to give examples or anything like that but you know what we know it when we hear it you know when you hear it we don't need to be that way as a christian and unfortunately you just can't, you can't tell these days there is a way a christian should talk there there's definitely a way a christian should talk in a way they shouldn't but we see in verse um, well, let's keep reading in verse 25. He says, now this is where I like this. He says, and I contended with them and cursed them okay, and smote certain of them 
and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. So notice this, and I've heard this said before, and I agree. You know, Christians shouldn't cuss, but you know what? Sometimes it's okay to curse. And here he is. He's cursing them here. Why? Because what they were doing was wrong. It was wicked. And he's calling them out. And he even plucked off their hair. Okay, now, I don't, I don't fully understand what's going on here, but when I read this passage, I think of Mo and I think of Larry on the Three Stooges. He's always putting Larry in that headlock and just ripping a big hunk of hair out of his head. And that, that's what I see him doing. And I guess that's probably how it was. I mean, the three students were Jews. Nehemiah was a Jew. Maybe that's just how, how they typically react. But um, he's like, you guys aren't going to do this kind of thing anymore. This is wrong. And again, notice too, we've seen a couple of examples of him kind of confessing things to God. It is possible you can make a good argument. He went a little too far. Okay. I'm not going to use Nehemiah plucking people's hair out as a, a justification for me plucking people's hair out. Okay? But I will say this. You know, I think there's a time we should want to rip some people's hair out. Right? How many would you like to go to D.C. and rip some hair out of some politicians? Okay? I would love to do that. I would love to you know, rip some hair out of our governor. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not threatening or anything like that. But I'm frustrated. And I would like to get their attention and do something to inflict some kind of pain to just say, what is wrong with you? And you know, there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of preachers. You know, you'll hear them preaching stuff. We were, we were, you know, giving examples of just some, you know, crazy clips today. These preachers doing this weird numerology stuff. It's just like, sometimes I, I would never do it, but you'd like to just go and just grab them by the hair and just rip a big hunk out. It's like, what is wrong with you? I don't know why that was effective and why he did it that way, but I think it's awesome. And uh, when I get frustrated, I like to read this passage, and it just makes me feel good, and I just live vicariously through Nehemiah. Because I'm not going to go ripping people's hair out. But this was wrong. They were commanded not to do that. And then he said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel, nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause the sin. It was wrong for even the king to do it. So how much more for all of you? This was wrong. This got Solomon. He was a wise man. He was the king. And they got him in trouble. What makes you think it's going to be any different with you? It's not going to be any different. He says, um, shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Okay? And if you look back earlier, Sanballat, he was a wicked man that was withstanding the work that they were doing on the house of the Lord and on the walls. And he was a wicked man. He was where the Samaritans came from these were a rotten people and here you had a priest's son who had married one of his daughters and when nehemiah saw him he went after him hey he went after him why i i don't know I, he's probably gonna rip his hair out he i don't know if he's gonna punch him body slam him i don't know what but it's like nehemiah just completely lost it and again i'm not gonna stand here and condemn what he did I'm not going to necessarily justify everything he did. 
I'm just going to say that Nehemiah was disgusted by what he saw in Jerusalem, and rightfully so, he should have been, and he flipped out. He had an absolute epic meltdown. And notice in verse 29, he says, Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. And that's an example of cursing right there, too. Okay, understand too, cursing is not just a, you know, like our world does where they're just bleep you, bleep you, you know, stuff like that. Okay, no, he's actually, you know, asking God to remember them because of what they did, that's a curse. Another way, remember how Paul cursed uh, Alexander the coppersmith? He said the Lord reward him according to his works. That was a curse right there. Because, and at the same time too, it's a blessing if he was a good guy. But he was a bad guy. He did much evil. And he's saying, Lord, give it to him. Give him what he deserves. That's a good example of a curse there. You know, we can be a little more eloquent than just being like a drunk guy saying what they say. We don't need to do that. And so it says, Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. And this last phrase here, is the title of the sermon tonight. He says, Remember me, O my God, for good. So there's a lot we could say about this passage. So this is a great passage too, to just get God's people fired up about sin. You should be fired up about sin. And sometimes too, as a pastor, you know, I'll preach a message trying to get people fired up about sin. We'll talk about all the wickedness that's going on in this world. We'll talk about all the stuff that's going on in politics. And I tell you right now that if this election doesn't go good in two, in two days, there's going to be a lot of preachers across America trying to get their people fired up. Because you know what's got, you know, most people in our country today, they aren't, they are not fired up like they should be. They are not as disgusted as they should be with stuff that's going on. And sometimes we need people, we need Nehemiahs to come along and get everybody fired up a little bit. Sometimes we need somebody to come along and just calm us down a little bit, you know, and in th- this passage is a great passage to do that. You know, this passage we could use as a great way to discuss when it's okay to lose it, you know, and uh, when to just chill out and know our place. Because again, I don't fully understand what a all authority Nehemiah had. I think it's clear he had a lot of authority. So if he's getting physical with people, well, maybe he has the authority to do that. Okay? We don't have the authority to just go beating people up and plucking out the hair of people that are doing wrong. I know. And you know what? If you want to go and try to get the authority, um, you know, be my guest. All right? Sometimes um, it'd be nice to have some of that, be able to body slam people, but you know, like even cops, cops, sometimes they have the authority to body slam people and handcuff them and throw them up against a car and things like that. Sometimes that would probably feel pretty good, but even then they got to be careful about when they do it. They can't just do whatever they want. And if they do it at the wrong time or the wrong person or the, the wrong color. They really get in trouble. We, and we know how that typically goes, but again, let's just admit it. We got to know our place, right? I'm a pastor and I don't really have the authority to physically rough anybody up. And that kind of stinks. I wish I could find it in the Bible, but I can't. So uh, Nehemiah said it was probably fine because you know he did have some authority. Uh, we could talk about the appropriateness of his actions, and I, I think it was appropriate, but that's not what we're going to focus on tonight. Because when it comes to responding to sin, 
There's a lot of things that we have to factor in. Number one, okay, I, and I do, I want everyone in here to be fired up about the sin and the wickedness that's going on in this world. I hope you get bothered. I hope when you watch the news, you get mad and you get fired up. I, I think that's the way it should be. I hope when you're out in public and you're seeing wickedness, I hope it grieves you. I hope it vexes your righteous soul. I, I hope there's nobody in here that when you're out in public and you see a tranny, you don't get a little fired up. It ought to bother you to see that kind of thing. It ought to make you want to walk out of a restaurant and make you walk out of a restaurant if they try serving you. That, that's, that's normal. That's how it ought to be. You know, when you go and you go to take your order at the restaurant and the guy starts talking to you, how may I help you? Like this, you know, I, I hope your blood boils a little bit. It, that's, that's the way it should be. I don't think you should body slam them. I, I, I don't think you should do that. But here's what we have to ask ourselves. You know, do we even have any authority to do anything about it? And folks, how much authority do we really have in this world right now? As Christians especially. When it comes, I, I know the Democrats are all telling everybody Christian nationalism is on the rise and the Christians are about to take over and they're just going to force their religion on everybody and we're going to torment women by not letting them butcher their babies and all these, you know, they're, they're making it sound like the Christians are just taking over. And again, I'm not seeing it. Like you talked about this morning, I, I, I wish it was there, but I, I'm just not seeing it. But we don't have any authority and it doesn't look like we're going to get any anytime soon. So we probably aren't going to be able to react exactly like Nehemiah did. But here's the other thing we've got to ask ourselves, too. Is our anger truly a righteous indignation? Because okay? sometimes there's just things that bother us. It's not, and and they, those things might even be sin. But is it the fact that it's offensive to God? Is that why you're upset? Or is this because it's offensive to you? Because let's face it, there's also sins that don't offend us that much. When they probably should. So again, you know, a lot of times when we get fired up about sin, it's not necessarily a righteous indignation. That just annoys you. And I'm the same way. I do. I have certain things that just annoy me. And some of those things might technically be sins. Some of it, you know, where there's other things that are worse sins and they don't bother me that much. So we got to watch out for that. But what I believe what's going on here with Nehemiah, I believe he was. He was. This was a sincere and honest reaction with all that was going on with Jerusalem. This wasn't fake. I've seen some preachers get up and they're ripping on sin, and rightfully so. But you know what? I'm not completely convinced that they really hate it as much as they're acting like they are. I think they're just trying to rile up the base. It's kind of like a lot of Republicans when they start talking uh, against abortion. Hey, I'm glad you're saying that. I don't think I really believe you. I'm looking at your voting record, and it doesn't tell me that you are really that against abortion. I think you're just trying to get in office. I think you're just trying to get my vote. And understand, there's a lot of preachers out there. They will preach against sin. They will preach against other versions of the Bible. They will preach against all this other... But you know what? They don't really care. It's not sincere. You know, when you, when you do, when you hear these preachers get up, and they're just ripping on, you know, perversion or, or fornication or adultery. And then you find out they're a pervert themselves. Listen to how they preached about it. Yeah, they were fake. They were a phony. So there was nothing righteous about that preaching that they were doing. Good. And again, Nehemiah, he might have went a little too far 
but it was sincere. And let me tell you, I've heard some preachers before that while they got up and they've been ripping on people, ripping on sin, I think they took it a little too far. But I also think this is who they are. They're sincere. They're, they're, they're that fired up about it. And then when you hear that other, the other preacher go and say the same thing, and you can tell, this is fake. Dude, you're not even that mad. You're, you're, you're just trying to be over the top to convince everyone you're hardcore. I'm not buying it. Yeah, like that guy, I believe him. It's kind of like Phil Kidd back when he used to be the hard preacher. As much as I enjoyed it, I was never fully convinced that he meant it. And, you know, and now you listen to him and it's just like, ah, I think he was showboating a little bit. Let me tell you, when they're, if they're just showboating, there's nothing righteous about that. And again, I can get up here. If I want to get everybody fired up, I could, I could just start you know, ripping on the queers and all that. And, but, you know, it needs to be sincere. If I'm really fired up, it needs, you know, and I'm saying a lot of crazy stuff, if I'm going too far, hopefully it's at least from the heart. You know, and I'm not being phony. That's where a lot of people are at. But that wasn't the case with Nehemiah. But, so, but Nehemiah, when he's having this meltdown, and here's, here's where the message is. And here's what I want us to get from it. Notice the very last statement he says. He said, remember me, oh my God, for good. And I believe this needs to be the prayer and the attitude of every one of us. Because as disgusted as I am with the wickedness that's going on in this world, I understand there's very little we can, I can do about it. There's very little that we can do about it. But you know what we all should do? While hopefully when you get offended by the sin that's going on, hopefully... You know, you're more upset that it's offensive to God than the fact that it's offensive to you. Because again, we all have sins that offend us. But we should be more fired up because it offends God. That should be the main motivation for us being against sin, is that it offends a holy God. And so when we see that kind of thing going on, I get it. There's not much that we can do, but every one of us ought to be able to say, like Nehemiah, remember me, oh my God, for good, we ought to, it ought to be our prayer, Lord, don't let me be a part of the problem. And Lord, when you look at me, Lord, when you look at this nation, when God looks at America, I can only imagine what he thinks. He's got to be disgusted with what he sees going on in this country. But you know what? While I can't do anything necessarily to fix that, I can say this, remember me, oh my God, for good. Lord, when you're thinking about this country, don't lump me in with it. You know, it's kind of like how I am with people all the time. When you're thinking about Illinois, don't think about, you know, think about Chicago. All right? Don't let me in with them. Okay? I'm not like everybody from Illinois. All right? I'm conservative. I love freedom. I'm, I'm against all this stuff. And that ought to be all right too. That Lord, when you're, thinking about, when you're thinking about America, when you're thinking about Illinois, when you're thinking about all the wickedness that goes on there, don't identify me with it. Lord, I hope that you see me for good. I hope you see me being a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And so again, while our country's going downhill, while churches are going downhill, while Baptist churches are going downhill, let it never be said about Liberty Baptist Church that we are a part of the problem. And you know, we can't fix all the churches that are in America today. I'm so sick of the wickedness that I see going on. Even in Baptist churches, I'm sick of the music that's going on in these churches. I'm sick of people losing their King James Bible. I'm sick of all just the, the contemporary stuff that's coming in. And you know, I'm sick of seeing Israeli flags on platforms and listening to people praise Antichrist. I'm sick of that. But you know what? There's not really much I can do about that. I don't have authority over these people. And I can't go in and pluck off their hair and do those things. And I might want to do some of that sometime. But you know what I can do? I can say, well, you know what, Lord, remember Liberty Baptist Church for good. 
Lord, when you're thinking about all the junk that's going on at Baptist churches, you know, hopefully he doesn't think about us with that. When you hear about the perversion that goes on, remember us for good. We stood against the perverts. We separated ourselves from the perverts. We didn't let them come and preach in our pulpits. We didn't have that kind of thing going on here. And when we do, when we look at our country, we need to say the same thing. That should be our prayer to God. Remember us for good. When we look at our country, you know what we need? We need a little bit of Nehemiah. But you know what else we need? We need a little bit of Jeremiah too. And I thought about, man, that's a good message right there. Being a little bit, you know, we need Jeremiah's and we need Nehemiah's. Now, what does that mean? Well, Nehemiah, when he looked at Israel, he got fighting mad. He got physical. Jeremiah, when he looked at Israel, you know what he did? He cried. He was the weeping prophet is what he's known as. In Lamentations 3.48, he says, My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven, mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. And you know what? This was a good response too. When when Nehemiah or when Jeremiah looked at his city, he cried. And you know, sometimes we need a Nehemiah when they see wickedness, they're ready to go fight somebody. But sometimes we need a Jeremiah that's going to cry, that's going to pray. Sometimes people they respond better to the guy who's rough and mean and harsh. Some people respond better to the guy who's crying. And again, you know, I'm not, I'm not a crier. I don't, I don't like crying. There's, but you know, that's not me. I'd rather get up and yell at everybody. I'd rather get up and preach a sermon and talk about how wicked and how sorry y'all are. And I wish eternal security wasn't true. So y'all could go to hell. I, you know, I, you know, sometimes you need that, but sometimes you need the preacher that's going to get up and cry. Some people will respond to the mean stuff. Some people respond to the tears. Okay. Who responds to tears better? Right, who, we got, who, we are, only got one person responds to tears. It's okay, especially if you're a lady, respond to tears. Maybe that's why you know you all come to church here because you know you're not the tear people. You know, and so you, you know you could go to Pastor Goat Boy's church. It's always a, you know up there talking with the vibrato ballot, ready to shed a tear. You know, when I look at this country, I just weep. And they do that every sir, almost every time you hear them preach, they're up there crying. Man, I couldn't do that all the time. But you know, sometimes we need that. You know, but I, me, my personality, I just want to call it all wicked and flip out and throw something. But we, we, we need, we need both. We need Jeremiah's and we need Nehemiah's. And some of us need a little more Jeremiah than we do Nehemiah, but we all need to make sure whatever we do, not only are we not contributing to the bad, but that we are doing good. We have to be lights. We have to do that. Listen, God, he did not call us to take over this country. God has not called us to do that. But you know what he has called us to do? He's called us to be a light. Paul said in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless. <clears throat> harmless? Come on. As a Christian, are we, really, we, we really can't go and blow something up, you know, destroy something. Come on. No. We can't do that in the name of Christ. Okay. Now, if we want to do it in the name of 1776 America that we're going to bring back, uh, no, never mind. But anyway, now this is how I think sometimes. But we got to be uh, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, 
among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We have to be lights. When we see what's going on, let's look at the wickedness. Let's get fired up. Let's get riled up. But you know what? We can't go pluck off people's hair. We can't go beat people up. We can't go chasing people down. But you know what we can do? We can be a light. And we can say, Lord, remember me for good. And Lord, when you, I, I know this country is not doing what you want them to do. But Lord, let me be one that is doing what you've said. And I'm going to be a light. While everybody's, instead of going to church, watching stinking football... I'm going to be out winning souls. Again, today, you know, guy being nice and everything, didn't know for sure if he was going to go to heaven, asked if I could show him, and he said, it's Bears time, man. Listen, th- that represents America so well right there. And you know what? That fires me up. And you know, I didn't pluck off his hair. I didn't do anything physical to him. I was nice to him. But you know what? When I think about that, I think, Lord... Remember me for good. Lord, when you look at this country that's worshiping a sport, Lord, remember me. I was out soul winning while everybody else was doing that. I was being a light. Folks, that's what we can do. I'm not going to go and try to get football canceled. I'll let the libs keep working on doing that because they can't handle the manliness of the sport. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go and be a light. I'm not going to fight that battle. Matthew 5.13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and he giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So light. And that, that's all we can do. When you look at this country, we ought to just, uh, when God's looking at this country, we ought to just be able to say, Lord, remember me, oh my God, for good. I wasn't participating. I wasn't going along with it. When our country was legalizing same-sex marriage, I was preaching against the abomination of sodomy. When our country was celebrating that kind of thing, I was preaching against it. And you know what? Not only was I preaching against it, I was being persecuted for preaching against it, for just telling people what your, what your book says about it that's what was going on with me and you know what i can't do anything about what they're doing but i can do something about what i'm supposed to do and you can do the same thing so we've got to be lights the other thing we have to do too remember is we can't just be bandwagon christians christians now i could preach a whole message just on this but in matthew 24 verse 11 it says many and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity of because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold. Now, what does that tell me right there? Well, that tells me a lot of people are going to just go along with the wickedness because that's what everybody's doing. I mean, iniquity is abounding. Well, you know what? Who cares about what we're supposed to do? We're the only ones. You can't beat them. Join them. Folks, that is not a Christian response right there. But let me tell you something. You want, you want to know why our country used to be moral? Is because it's what everyone was doing. See, there was a time where righteousness was abounding. And because of that, a lot of people just went along with it. There was a time when morality was normal. There was a time when shacking up was frowned upon. And so because of that, a lot of people, they didn't shack up. Now, 
we shouldn't commit fornication, we shouldn't commit adultery because it's offensive to a holy God. But, you know, there was a time when a lot of people didn't do it because it was offensive to society. Well, I'm glad they're not doing it. The problem is, if it gets to where it's not offensive to society, you're going to go along with it. There was a time where people went to church because it was socially frowned upon to not go to church. Well, the problem with that if that's the only reason you're going, if it ever gets to where it's socially acceptable to not go, go to church, and guess what? You're not going to go to church. And, uh, and that's what's going on. Because people are like, what happened in our country? And I don't know the answers to all that. I don't know how everything went down. But somewhere along the lines, wickedness became the norm. Somewhere along the lines, disobedience became normal. And a lot of people went along with it. Again, we all look back, oh, you know, the glory days of the leave it to beaver day, you know, when people were decent, when people were moral, where it was a mom and dad and they had kids. And let me tell you, the cleavers, they went to church. You watch leave it to beaver. They went to church. But, you know, you watch enough of that show, you figure out they were just a representation of society during that time. It wasn't a conviction with them. Guarantee you they're not going to church now. I get it. They're fictional characters. But uh, now Ward Cleaver, he was actually a uh, ordained minister in real life. Methodist, I think, so he's probably still in hell. But anyway, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. But let me just say, when our country was more moral, when it was more Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean there was more conviction in our country during that time. I mean, there was obviously more of it than there is now, but a lot of people were just going along. And let me tell you, if the Democrats are right and Christian nationalists do take over, you know what? A lot of people will become Christian. Just because we're in power, just they're just going to go along to get along. If we, if you know, if I come along and I take over, like people act like I'm going to do, and I say it's illegal to shack up, it's illegal to fornicate, it's illegal to be a homo. You know what? All of a sudden, a lot of people are going to lose their pink hair. A lot of guys are going to start dressing more men. They're going to start hiding those things, not out of conviction, but out of necessity. And the problem is, as soon as I lose power. They go right back to doing what they were doing before. And so, but, so the thing is, we've got to understand, we're not supposed to just do these things out of convenience. We're supposed to do them out of conviction. We're supposed to do them for the Lord. If we're doing these things for the Lord, it won't matter who else is doing things. And a lot of people ask that, you know, they, I mean, if some of you, if you'd have known you were going to be the only one to show up for church tonight, you probably wouldn't have come. That's not right. You shouldn't be bandwagoning that area. You should come out of conviction. That's the way things should be. That's the way God wants it. And if you don't do things out of conviction, it's only a matter of time. You're not going to be doing it at all. Because the wind's going to blow another direction. Winds are going to shift. And you're going to go along. And it's during, these, it's during times like these where you find out what people are really made out of. So the last thing, we need to make sure we stay focused on what we are really living for hebrews 12 1 says wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of god and listen when again when you see sin are you actually jealous for the Lord's sake or, or are you just mad that others are getting away with something that you want to do? I mean, I think if we got real honest, 
Some of them would be like, yeah, I'd like to be doing that. I wish I was at home watching a football game right now. That, 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 and let me tell you, if that's your attitude, again, eventually that's exactly what you'll be doing. Because you're not doing things out of conviction. You're not doing things for the Lord. And let me tell you, most of those people in Jerusalem during Nehemiah's day, they were just going with the flow. And because there was no leadership there to get people in line, nobody was doing right. But you know what? Thank, thank God men, men like Nehemiah came along and started getting some people. Started forcing, kind of, He's kind of forcing people to do it. But at least somebody was pushing people in the right direction. And, you know, we can't, again, we can't force anybody to do anything. But, you know, we can be an influence for good. We can be doing things for the right reason. And when, and said, when, you, when you see sin, said, if you're actually jealous for the Lord, said, it, it's all going to fire you up. And we've got to remember this earth is temporary. It's all going to be burnt. And so some who are discouraged by our nation's condition are only discouraged just because they're attached to this country and it's all about earthly things. And, you know, and again, there, I, I believe there's a lot of Republicans that are as lost as the devil who are genuinely concerned about the direction of our country. I believe there's a lot of politicians that are. They will spend eternity in hell, but they are truly against this transgender junk and all that because any moron can understand this is going to destroy our society. You don't have to be saved to be against critical race theory. You don't have to be saved to be against perversion. If you just have love of country and love for survival, you are going to be against the abominations that are going on. And so there are people that are standing against these things and maybe for the wrong reason, because they're a Texas country, but, and it's okay to love your country, but we should be wanting to do right to please God first and preserving the nation second. Because guess what? God can get along without America. Nation, uh, listen, the nations are a drop in the bucket. They're counted as less than nothing to God. And it's okay for you to love your country and want to see it preserved, but you know what? I hope you're against sin mostly because it's offensive to God. That, that should be the number one reason you know, the country surviving, that's secondary. And, and so don't get fooled by these politicians that are against some of this stuff, like they're these great Christians. No, they just, if, if they love our country, they're going to be against abortion. They're going to be against perversion and all these things. So Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So we were created for God. And God's pleasure is what we should be shooting for. That should be our goal. That should be our desire. And we've got to stay focused on that. Because there's, there's what, there, a lot of things that I want are good things for our country. So again, I do. I hope the Democrats get destroyed in a couple of days. Because I think that would be a net positive for our country. You know, I'd like to see, you know, taxes go down. I'd like to see gas prices go down. I'd like to see a lot of, you know, I'd like to see Darren Bailey get in and maybe do something about the abortion that's going on in this state. I don't know how much he'll be able to do or even if he'll try to do anything. But either way, there's a lot of things I would like to see because it would be good for our state. It would, it would be good for our country. But, but at the end of the day, 
Those are, those are secondary things. I should mainly want to see those things happen or you know, get fixed because they're wicked and they're offensive to God. That should be the goal. And so I don't believe that as Christians, we should look away from all the evil that's going on. We should always be doing whatever we have the ability to do to help wherever we're at. But at the end of the day, there's just some things that are beyond our power. And if God chooses to destroy this country before the rapture, I totally understand. I, I, I do. If, if I found out Russia had a bunch of nukes coming our way and it was only a matter of minutes and this country was going to cease to exist and we were all going to die, you know what I wouldn't think? God, how could you let this happen? I wouldn't think that for a second. I'd be like, well, we've been asking for it. We've been asking for it. But you know what I, you know what I would like to think, though? That when the Lord's judging this country... That he's thinking, you know, he's remembering me for good. That, you know, and again, sometimes good people, they go down with the nation. You know, I'm hoping God pulls us out in the rapture before the real judgment comes. But he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't, he doesn't have to do it that way. My goal is just whenever God does, whatever God needs to do, I just hope he remembers me for good. When God thinks about the wickedness that's going on, I hope I was an exception. I was somebody that contributed to the positive. I, I hope I'm seen as somebody who helped stall off the judgment. And that needs to be your, your attitude too. That needs to be your goal. And so I want you to stay fired up. I want you to stay angry about the sin and the wickedness that's going on. But you know what I don't want you to do? I don't want you to be like the people in Matthew 24 because iniquity abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know what you need to do? You say, Lord, remember me for good. I can't control everybody. I can't control myself. I will not participate. I will not contribute. I will go forward. I will be obedient to God. And again, if this election goes, if this election goes bad, and our country just says, yes, we want socialism. Yes, we want perversion. Yes, we want all these wars and all we want all this wickedness. And we want to keep funding all these wicked nations and sending money to Ukraine and sending money to Israel. If that's what they decide in this election, you know what? I want to be able to say, Lord, remember me for good. I stood against it. I spoke out against it. I didn't participate in it. That's what we can control. That's what we can, that's what we can do. And we need to remember this world that we live in, it's temporary. There's another one coming, and that's the one that we need to be thinking about. That's the one we need to be thinking about. We can't be just bandwagon Christians. And in reality, if we are thinking about the future, if we're thinking about eternity, if we're thinking about the millennium, we actually have a greater opportunity in a wicked nation like this. Because again, you know, the Cleavers, they're not getting any awards for being good and moral. They were just going along with society during that time. Well, if we live like they do, they did in this world, you know what? That was out of conviction. And God's going to bless that in a greater way. So let's never forget that. And so let that be every time you see the wickedness that's going on. When you, every time you see something in the next weeks and months that cause you to wonder, Lord, why haven't you torched this nation yet? You know what your prayer ought to be? Lord, remember me, oh my God, for good. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful uh, example we see with uh, Nehemiah. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to have uh, just the hatred and disgust for sin and wickedness that's going on. But you'll help us to be lights, understand our place, and just make sure that we don't contribute, that we don't get involved in it, 
that we can stay obedient and we can be lights and reach more people in this crooked and perverse nation. In your name we pray. Amen.